This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays, and joining me today, I could not be more excited about this, is the wonderful Shil Kapadia. Shil, how are you, buddy? Good. Good to be here. I've been listening to the uh, first couple episodes, and now I'm a part of it. So the, the bar is set high. I was very excited about having you on. Definitely wanted you to be one of the first people, and I don't think there's any other choice for us but to do the NFC East, a division that you are very familiar with for your time around the Eagles. You're on the Birds with Friends podcast with our friends Zach Berman and Bull Wolf. So uh, this was a necessity. Absolutely. It's a, it's a strange division. I feel like a couple interesting teams, one not so interesting team and one team that's probably not going to be that good, but is, it might be the most interesting of all four. So we can get into all of those. Yeah, I would say that the Giants are not that interesting. Washington, <laughs> for as bad as they're going to be, they are a little bit interesting. We'll get into the ins and outs of the non-contenders in this division, but I would like to start with in what is, in my opinion, the contender in this division, the team that absolutely is a Super Bowl-caliber roster, Super Bowl-caliber everything, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. The Jason Garrett, the sleepy Jason Garrett era, as I, as I called it in the doc here, is finally over, and, and that was my kind of issue with the Jason Garrett tenure as the Cowboys head coach. This is a team with a ton of talent. And you saw flashes of it last year with their offense could be with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, all of that. And now we have Jason Garrett on the way out, Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore being retained as the offensive coordinator, kind of a new regime that I'm a little bit more excited about. So I want to pose this question to you first, because I don't think it's hard to build the case for why the Cowboys and especially their offense will be good. I want to hear from you. Why do you think, what reasons would there be for why the Cowboys wouldn't be a top five offense? You know, I think the main one is what you said with Mike McCarthy. And it's interesting because obviously you go from Jason Garrett to another coach, you're probably going to have an upgrade, you know, not to be blunt about it, but uh, I'm wondering about <laughs> what, you know, what size of an upgrade this is going to be from Garrett to McCarthy. Cause it is a weird situation, right? Like you said, they're retaining Kellen Moore. And I think that's a great move. I mean, the offense was fantastic last year. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just maintain continuity on that side of the ball, especially in a shortened off season. At the same time, you know, the Mike McCarthy sort of like last nine months or a year, whatever, have been very interesting where it felt like there was this big PR campaign and all of a sudden I'm reading like seven features about Mike McCarthy and he's sort of being, <laughs> he, really, he's being built up to this level where, and I would get, I'm, I'm Mike care. McCarthy has a great publicist. Yeah. Great the publicist. The best in the game. I, I, I need that. I need whoever that is, but um, I'm curious to get your opinion on this because when he was fired from Green Bay, I didn't, wasn't feeling like he got wronged or that they were making a mistake. I was kind of like, all right, his time was up. You know, I kind of felt like they underachieved in, in some years. So how much do you see that sort of upgrade from, from Garrett to McCarthy? Because that's my concern to answer your question is that he says, you know what? I know I said Moore's going to be the play caller, but I'm getting kind of itchy. We lost a couple games. The offense isn't mm -hmm. performing. He kind of, you know, tries to jump in there and that could lead to some bad results, I think. I feel like kind of trying to parse who the main decision maker is in offensive meetings is really difficult with NFL teams, especially ones with offensive minded head coaches that have a background as play callers. I mean, I think that you run into this all the time in Philadelphia. I'm assuming it will happen again this year where you have press Taylor is now the passing game coordinator. Rick Scangarello is there. You have all these different kinds of minds 
creating an offense. And it's hard to know where one person's influence starts and another's begins. And I think that's what's happened last year in Dallas, and it's going to happen this year. You know, there are things that the Cowboys did last year where you're watching some of it schematically, and it's all these stop routes and you know, early down runs, and it's frustrating. And I have kind of spun that in my mind as the Garrett influence. And now, if Kellen Moore has full control, we're going to see more of the stuff we saw for the first three weeks last year. 40% play action, tons of pre-snap motion, a lot of things that help Dak out. And that's why I'm excited because it's this Kellen Moore offense. But then at what point does the Mike McCarthy slant flat revolution (laughs) start to creep into what they do? So I think that my optimistic spin on this is even if McCarthy starts sprinkling some stuff in schematically, a lot of the philosophical approaches that Mike McCarthy had just overall in a big picture way are an upgrade from what Jason Garrett would do. And that's in two ways. One, fourth downs. Much more aggressive historically with somebody that was going to go for it, going to push it. When you have an offense like the Cowboys do, that's a positive. Two, rush percentage. The the Packers in McCarthy later in his tenure threw the ball a lot. And that's what I want to see out of this Dallas team because I think the number one element that could pull them back and not let them reach their potential is if the run pass splits and the overall aggressiveness and conservative nature of what they had last year pulls them back and kind of depresses their ceiling. If they throw the ball as much as they should and they go for it on a fourth down as much as Mike McCarthy has, I think his influence can't even bring them down. I think that's they're beyond that even. I think you're right. I think it's a great, simple way to look at it. It's almost like, you know, someone should tell him that Mike, you don't need to do too much, <laughs> too much with this offense. Let's let's be aggressive on fourth downs. If Kellen Moore's getting a little, you know, feels like he needs to be too balanced or is running the ball a lot on early downs. Like, let's remember that our quarterback's pretty good. We've got all these weapons uh, at wide receiver. We have a lot of options where we don't need to be predictable. And like, if he can sort of stay in that, you know, box, I think they're in great shape. Like you mentioned, I mean, they're talented. They've got continuity, all these different types of things. They can win in different ways, which I I always like, you know, whether it's running the football, throwing to different guys, they can throw downfield, they can string together methodical drives. So they've got a lot going for them. Uh, I would say my only hesitation is just, I mean, I think Mike McCarthy at preparing for this pod and reading some of his quotes, I mean, when he was being asked about play calling, he was saying, yeah, you know, you do miss it. And just, you've been around like mm-hmm. offensive minded head coaches, like do anything, <laughs> make fun of their kids, do whatever you want. But man, if you try to take that, that play sheet away from them, it's like, that's the end of the world. And so it is a little bit of sort of putting that ego aside, realizing you're a head coach. You have a lot of different ways you can make an impact. You don't need to call plays and let, let the offensive coordinator do his job. It's interesting because if you look at the jump they made last year, so they went from 24th in offensive DVOA under Linehan to second last season. And when teams make that sort of jump historically, they're typically set up for a fall. Right. I mean, even if it's a small one, regression often comes for teams that make that sort of jump. But when you look at the Cowboys, I think there are so many little things that happen this offseason that are going to help them stave that off. We already talked about the early down run pass kind of splits there. I think that's going to be better. I also think that adding C.D. Lamb and taking away Jason Witten <laughs> and giving Blake Jarwin those snaps, I've, I, like you said, they have so many answers to different sorts of questions. I just think the players they have overall, they're going to be able to find gains in so many different ways that I have... In my opinion, I think they could be even better this year, even if general math and precedent and everything else tells us they're going to be worse. Yeah, the per- I mean, the personnel is better. You know, you look at who they lost, yeah. and Randall Cobb was really good last year, but 
If you're asking me, like, who would I want on my team this year as a slot receiver, CeeDee Lamb or Randall Cobb? I know there's some hesitation with rookies, but, like, CeeDee Lamb's the more talented guy. I mean, the upside there uh, is going to be higher than Randall Cobb, and I agree with you. I mean, Blake Jarwin, he doesn't need to be Tony Gonzalez, but he can certainly be an upgrade over, uh, over Jason Witten there. So I would say a couple of the other things that – maybe would be cause for concern when you were talking about regression. I think they were the fourth health healthiest offense in the NFL yep. last season. So your depth could get tested a little bit more, especially if you have a couple injuries on the offensive line uh, or something like that, that could, uh, that could certainly hurt you. And then losing Travis Frederick, you know, I mean, he was uh, obviously it's um, they bring back four out of five starting offensive linemen. They should be fine. Like these are all uh, good team problems to have, you know, you lose one offensive lineman, but still a, a very good center. So, um, it, you know, it's something worth mentioning at least. I think that's a really good point. And that's why I feel like Joe Looney will probably end up winning that job over. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Tyler Biadas, the rookie yeah. fourth round pick. I think that Looney will win it because I think the number one thing they lose with Frederick is communication. That this, the overall way that information traveled between Dak and Frederick Looney has experience with Dak. And I think the communication aspect is the number one thing to replace. And I have more confidence in his ability to do it. It's interesting that you say, you know, CD lamb over Randall Cobb in the slot, because one of the things I'm most excited about with lamb coming in is that I think it's going to let them move Cooper inside. Hmm. If you look at a lot of his numbers, both in Oakland and in Dallas, He's a fantastic slot receiver. I mean, up in the top 10 in yards per route run from the slot consistently. I think he's at his best when he has two-way goes in a lot of space. And he didn't do that a lot last year because Cobb was there. Now, if you can move Lamb outside, I think you get better in two spots. That's the type of stuff I'm excited about. You just you, you sprinkle in Tony Pollard here a little bit. Blake Jarwin up the seam. It's these elements that they're not going to jump out to you in a fantasy football or volume way. But when you combine everything together, I just think the final product is really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that would make sense. Like you said, I sort of threw that out of my mind because he didn't do it a lot last year. So I was thinking Cooper is just going to stay on the outside. But thinking about his skill set, his route running, like there's nothing about him that would tell you he wouldn't thrive in the slot. And especially with, you know, a lot of these teams, if they're playing man coverage and they're not comfortable having a guy travel with him in the slot, you might get a better matchup in there uh, against the slot corner. I mean, there's all these different things kind of uh, going going on, uh, obviously, matchup wise. And C.D. Lamb, I mean, the comp for a lot of people was DeAndre Hopkins, right, coming out of school. So that would be outside, you know, outside the numbers, contested catches, yards after the catch, all those different types of things. So they they definitely have a lot of options. Do you think that they have the best 11 personnel group in the NFL? This was a great question you posed, and I, I was trying to think, who are the other ones you would say? That this, the I think you mentioned the Saints, right, as one maybe? I would think this— so I think that when I'm considering this, it's on like 11 guys. So okay. the quarterback is just one of the people. Okay. It's not who has the best offense because I'd still pick the Saints okay. with that. But it's just the most complete group. I would say the Saints are the other one that I would throw out there because the Saints offensive line combined with having Emmanuel Sanders in that second spot now. Yeah. You know, Jared Cook is pretty good. I'd, I'd probably give the edge to the Saints just because of the line, but I think the Cowboys are right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've been, like, banging this drum all offseason that Michael Gallup is underrated, and here we are. I don't, He's great. I don't know how many minutes in, you know, I should be I should be uh, mocking myself because we haven't even mentioned him once. I mean, <laughs> this guy was unbelievable last year. 1,100 yards, was way up there in yards per route run. He's 24 years old. I felt like every time I was watching him, I was thinking, 
this guy is a legit, you know, one or two receiver. And so we haven't even mentioned him. But yeah, I mean, I think just there, if you look at the trio of wide receivers, I think that's definitely uh, tough to beat. Would I would definitely take them over the Saints when you compare offensive lines. Maybe it gets a little closer. I don't know. I, I might take the Cowboys number one in, in that 11 personnel grouping. I wouldn't blame you at all. Yeah. I just think that Gallup is such a great vertical option, yeah. and I think he's going to get more chances to do that in this offense. Rather than running six yards and turning around, <laughs> he's going to get to run six yards and keep running, which is something that I like. Yeah. So I think the, the the offense, you know, we didn't even talk about Dak. I don't really need to talk that much about Dak Prescott. Yeah. You know, him coming, I think that the way he played this with the contract stuff makes perfect sense to me. It's similar to the way that Kirk Cousins did it. You know, I, I talked to somebody about the Kirk Cousins plan this spring as it related to Dak. And the person that relayed this to me it was just talking about how Cousins went into those seasons and essentially said, when you have a hardworking quarterback who's talented and has the pieces around him, there's no reason to not bet on yourself. You're not going to be less valuable when that season is over. And when you look at what the Cowboys have with Dak Prescott and the situation he's in, I have a very hard time outside of a catastrophic injury imagining why he will be less valuable a year from now than he is right now. I just think he's really good. It's it's a great point. I mean, what like what is the floor on a Dak Prescott 2020? Like it's pretty high, you know, like yep. what would it be like the, you know, 12th, 13th best quarterback? And that's if like things do not go his way at all, you know, so that's like, a and that guy's getting $30 million a year. Absolutely. At his age. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's the point here. I mean, I don't know that there's a quarterback who's better set up for success and that's not taking anything away from him. I mean, I think he's really good. He's accurate. He's durable. He seems like a good leader. Uh, you know, he, he eats up the blitz. He threw downfield well last season. Like I don't see a lot of weaknesses in his game. So uh, I totally agree with you. I think he's, he's doing the right thing. You know, if you were worried about your situation, if they had lost, you know, three offensive linemen and didn't have a wide receiver and we're bringing in a coach we didn't like, you know, if there were all these other variables where he said, shoot, you know, it might be harder for me to have success next season, then maybe you go a different route. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason for him to settle uh, for anything than kind of max dollar right now, play on the franchise tag, have another good season, force their hand again next off season. Uh, in more cases than not, you're going to have all the leverage in, in this negotiation. So I think the biggest question, you know, I'm treating their offense as kind of a given, is whether the defense can hold up their end of the bargain. And I, I have my thoughts on this. I'm curious how you feel. Where do you think their defense kind of settles compared to the rest of the league by the time this is over? I think I'm probably more, a little more concerned with their defense th than you are when I look at sort of a, a few different things. One is just the continuity aspect of this offseason. You know, you're bringing in Mike Nolan, uh, I don't want to make too much about his last performance as a defensive coordinator because defense is, you know, random and varies year to year, but it wasn't great. The last time he was a coordinator with the Falcons, they were among uh, the worst defenses in the NFL. You're obviously going to be moving to some schematic changes because the Cowboys, it was Chris Richard off that Seattle tree. And it was a lot of single high safety, a lot of cover three. I know their players have talked about it this off season. There wasn't a lot of disguise, not a lot of variation. And now the, I mean, disguise is like a big buzzword in Dallas and 
That's great. I agree with it. I think to play defense well in 2020, unless you just have a loaded roster, disguise has to be part of what you do because offenses and quarterbacks are just too good where if they know what the coverage is or have a hunch before the snap, they're just going to pick you apart. But at the same time, we've all seen it when a safety is trying to disguise and you know he's ro- either rolling down or rolling back right before the snap and shoot. It's a, it's a millisecond too late and all of a sudden that slant hits and it's a 60-yard touchdown. I mean, those plays get really ugly really quickly if you don't do them well. And so that lack of continuity, and then I'm sure we can talk about some of the personnel stuff. Uh, I have my questions about this defense. Like like right now, I would say they're in the bottom half of the league. Like probably I, I would expect them to be kind of in the in the 20s when it comes to defense this year. I feel like if you look at the most likely outcomes for their season, I think they're going to be a top three, top five offense. And if that's the case, if they're the second best offense, they're the best offense in the NFC. Let's say that. I don't think they need to be much better than average on defense in order to be a true Super Bowl contender. And it is not difficult for me to find a path to average with the players that they have. I like the front seven. I I have no issues with it. Even after losing Gerald McCoy, I think with Demarcus Lawrence, Alden Smith, who's apparently looked pretty good in camp, and Everson Griffin kind of moving around in there. You have Neville Gallimore, who they like as a third-round pick. If Just the mix of those guys plus a little bit more pressure. I think they're going to be a little bit more aggressive with bringing linebackers, yeah. and they have the athleticism at that spot to do it. I think there's enough there to manufacture pass rush and to affect the quarterback. It's about the secondary to me. How does that all shake out? And my understanding right now is that Diggs is getting a lot of work because of injuries, and he may start. Darian Thompson and Xavier Woods, I think, are the starting safeties now. Uh, Clinton Dix is not playing with the first team. I think that's okay. I mean, he's a solid player. Again, I think the pieces are there for them to figure this out and be an average unit. If they get there, they're really, really scary. Yeah, I, I think personnel-wise, you're absolutely right. I, I think they can be in that in that mediocre range, and they could hit that. I, I just think there's probably more variance where it could be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like Trevon Diggs a lot. I, he was one of my favorite corners uh, in the draft. He definitely has the skill set. If they're going to play more man coverage and have their guys press at the line of scrimmage, they weren't a big man team uh, last year. Do those types of things. He, he can definitely do that. Obviously, still going to be uh, a rookie there. And then I would say the interior pass rush, little worried about that. But again, you know, if you're looking at mediocre and you have Demarcus Lawrence and Everson Griffin, like that's going to be better than uh, than most teams are going to have with their pass rush. So they lose Robert Quinn, they lose Malik Collins, they lose Byron Jones. I mean, those are uh, especially two out of three of those are really really good players who played well for them. But they should get some turnover regression you would think one of these years I mean they've been like one of the worst <laughs> they've been one of the worst takeaway teams in the NFL so if their style matches what you what you said and what it sounds like they're going to do a little more aggressive a little more disguise a little more blitzing than they were you would think maybe that would help them a little bit in sort of the playmaking category I could see a lot of games up front for them too yeah. using Smith as a as a looper using Everson Griffin to kind of clear some stuff out moving him inside in certain passing situations I mean, he didn't do a lot of that in Minnesota because they don't do that yeah. I mean their defensive linemen stay in one spot but I think there's going to be a lot more creativity as they just try to man again manufacture an average defense and I could see that happening and if it does to me 
they're probably the best team in the NFC. And the other thing is special teams. I mean, their special teams is like sort of the, when you look at last year and say, how did this team not make the postseason? They were one of the worst special teams units in the NFL. Like if they would have had average special teams last year, they would have been a playoff team. They probably would have won the division. So it's like you add up all these little things we mentioned, going for it on fourth down, special teams, you add a receiver. Like there's a lot going in their favor. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why they should be a good team this year. All right, let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles, which is, it's already a depressing conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, we're, we come last two years, so they led the league in adjusted games lost in 2018. They were 12th last year, which seems impossible. I, I have no idea how yeah. they were 12th. They were 8th at receiver, which that seems not right, yeah. but I will trust the good people at Football <laughs> Outsiders. Uh, it's they're banged up and I think the number one thing when you look at the Eagles coming into the offseason two issues one health can they be healthier and two can they add some speed to receiver can they be a faster healthier team and if they are they're probably in the mix in the NFC well it's September 1st (laughs) and they are not a healthier team and as of right now they are not a faster team because Jalen Rager is hurt it's what do you think right now is just kind of the overall feeling and the attitude and this the vibe when you consider how deflating the early part of training camp has to be for this team. It sort of feels like it's teetering on that one more injury and it's like red panic button over and over again. Yeah. You know, like you look at, you know, Brandon Brooks, obviously that was an unfortunate injury, but when something like that happens in, when was it May or June, at least you have time to sort of think about it. What's your plan going to be that type of thing. So, Add somebody if you need to. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and Andre Dillard at left tackle. I mean, I know I feel like the spin from inside the building is that, you know, this guy was going to step in and be uh Tyron Smith this year, but That is not how they really felt about him. Uh, He was a question mark, to be honest, going into this season. I mean, they had a lot of questions about him last year, his ability to sort of grasp what they were doing, whether you want to call it mental toughness or whatever those sort of football guy words are that, you know, rub rub coaches the wrong way. They had questions about him. That was one of the reasons they signed Jason Peters. Sure, was it to play guard? Yes, but it was also as an insurance policy where not just an injury with Dillard. It was like, if this doesn't click with Dillard and we have a – we feel like we're going to be a deep playoff team this year, then we can always have Peters there to slide over to left tackle. And then the Rager thing, it's tough. I mean, it sounds like he's going to be out for the beginning of the season. How long does that linger? So it's kind of like all these sort of different things in the air where one day it feels like mass panic and then you can kind of talk yourself into, well, Peters could be better than Dillard at left tackle. That's not crazy. And uh, if Rager's back in week two, week three, week four, Maybe it's not that devastating. So uh, it's tough. It certainly, it feels like, you know, just preparing for this pod that they've suffered uh, more setbacks probably than most or or all teams at this point in training camp. But um, I would say it's not at kind of the worst spot or it's not the most as devastating uh, as it could be. That's my sunny take. I think they're going (laughs) to, yeah. And I think you're probably right to me, but the one injury away is a great point because what they did this offseason, especially with the pass catchers, I think they gave themselves a bunch of insurance policies. You know, Deshaun's coming back healthy, obviously, is huge. But going to get Marquise Goodwin, going to get J- Jalen Rager in the first round. Now, Marquise Goodwin's gone, yeah, opting out. And Rager's out for who knows how long. And for rookie receivers, not getting to a, off to a fast start and not being there for most of camp often derails their season. So now you go from Deshaun being part of the mix part of the equation to have that speed back to if Deshaun Jackson gets hurt, 
we are immensely screwed. Yeah. And that little gap there is huge. That Those gaps make or break a season. And I feel like teetering is exactly like you said is the right word. Yeah, I would say Deshaun Jackson, or you could probably even throw one of those offensive linemen in there if Jason Kelsey mm. were to go down. If Lane Johnson, who hasn't been practicing, goes down. Like they're all the depth they had on the offensive line is now in the starting lineup. So there's like <laughs> their backups have not played. I mean, you would be playing a rookie at uh, one or two of those spots. And it's a great point about Deshaun Jackson. This is a guy in his mid thirties, uh, obviously, you know, has had some injury issues in the past. You don't expect him to miss an entire season. You probably don't expect him to play all 16. So at some point you're probably going to have to get by uh, without him. And it's a great philosophical question because this was their uh, approach for the off season was throw a bunch of darts at the wide receiver position. We're going to get Goodwin. We're going to get Deshaun back. We're going to hold on to hold on to Alshon Jeffrey. We're going to spend three draft picks on wide receiver. If like two of those things hit, we're in good shape. If they don't, you're in a situation that you were in last year where you had one of the worst wide receiver groups in the entire NFL. So yeah, whether it's Deshaun or one more uh, offensive line injury, that would really, I feel like, be tough to overcome for them. We've seen what's happened to them structurally over the past two years when they lose that downfield threat. You know, in 2018, people don't think about this, but losing Mike Wallace mattered to them. Yeah. I mean, it changed the way that the offense looked. And last year, you see what they can be with. I know it was against Washington, right. but you see what they can be in week one, this explosive team. And Carson Wentz, when he has those options in his career, has not been afraid to push the ball downfield. But when you lose that, the geometry of your offense changes. You no longer have that field stretcher and you no longer have the space to work underneath, which is where they thrived. And that's, it's just frustrating yeah. because I would love to see this team when the pieces are working in concert and they can attack teams the way they want to. And if they don't have that speed element and they're forced to just dink and dunk underneath again and live out of 12 personnel, we've seen how that movie goes. It's fine, but they become a forgettable offense. It's so hard to play that way every week, you know, like to string together these seven, eight, nine play drives. You've got to be great in the red zone. You can't turn the ball over. You can't take sacks. And it's just so hard. I mean, those, you know, when I covered the Seahawks, like that was Pete Carroll's entire defensive philosophy was basically ba mm -hmm. based on that that you know they would get up after a seven yard slant and you would see them uh fist bumping and cheering because they're like all right you got a seven yard slant go ahead do 12 more of those and we'll see if you can execute and score a touchdown if you don't and we're gonna hold you to uh, a low number of points and so when you look at it on the opposite side of the ball with the offense you're absolutely right and i think it's a great point with wentz because if you look at his like yards per attempt and some of these other numbers you would think you were looking at like a dink and dunk quarterback. And that's just not his personality. Yeah. You know, he wants to mm -mm. be aggressive. He wants to push the ball downfield. Like the coaches have had times where I think this was frankly a mistake where they would say, take what the defense gives you. And I'm kind of like, tell him to just go out, pretend he's on the playground and just like <laughs> chuck it downfield, improvise, make plays outside of structure. Cause I think that's when he's at his best. But uh, like you mentioned, if they lose sort of one more speed receiver, if one of those late round picks don't hit, which it's always hard, especially uh, as rookies, then they are going to be in a similar situation to, to what they've been the past two years. Like you said, even 2018. It feels like John Hightower could really matter for this team. And that's just not something I thought I'd be saying on September 1st when you consider the rest of their offseason. Yeah, I, I've been out to a few practices and he's been legit good. Like all the uh, all the reports you read from the beat writers, uh, I'm on board. Like I'm watching him thinking they might have something here. And then I looked up, you know, day three wide receivers over like, the, I forget what I looked up, the last 10, 20 years. 
and the like chances you hit on that guy and he's going to have more than like 500 yards as a rookie is is very very slim no matter how a guy looks in his first training camp so maybe you have something with him you know you never say never we'll talk about Darius Slayton I'm sure uh, with the Giants but it is very rare I on it but the Darius Slayton comparison is really good and important because it speaks to what we were talking about with the structure as long as that guy has some juice and he can take the top off and he can be a threat even as somebody you have to pay attention to, that matters. Yeah. And that, I think, is the element that they need. So if they can find that, no matter who it is, whether it's Deshaun or Hightower every once in a while, missing that changes their offense. I want to talk about Wentz just quickly before we talk about the defense. It's It's been a weird offseason for him. I mean, when you consider what happened with Jalen Hurts and now you know guys getting dinged up, he's dinged up as we record this podcast. And it's day-to-day, but... With him, everything seems like the most important right. deal in the world. If you were taking the temperature of both how the fan base and the franchise feel about him right now, not very far removed from that extension, what do you think the feeling just about Carson Wentz in Philadelphia is right now? I would say locally in Philadelphia, they are very high on him. And it's sort of a situation where you almost have no other choice. You know, like like yeah. you've invested so much in this guy. Uh, you know, he did get you to... 13 games, you know, in that Super Bowl season, which if you're a fan was the best moment of your life. You know, Nick Foles obviously finished it, but they don't get there without Carson Wentz playing the way he did for three quarters of the season. And I think internally in the organization, they are still very high on him. But, you know, they draft when you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round and they had a lot of spin that was uh, out there with that in terms of having a backup quarterback and how important it is and all those different types of things. But the fact is you're hedging a little bit, right? I mean, let's say Carson Wentz goes, there are a few ways you can win this situation. One is that Carson Wentz plays really well. Maybe he misses a couple games a year and Jalen Hurts is a really good backup. All right, you know, I, I can buy that that's a win. But there is another scenario where Carson Wentz misses eight games, misses six games, and Jalen Hurts comes in. And we're seeing all these coaches around the NFL, all they needed was to watch one year of Lamar Jackson, and they think they can do that. I mean, honestly, you're seeing, you're seeing it with the Chargers. Uh, I think you're seeing it to a degree with with the Eagles and these other coaches around the NFL. They say, you know, that's, that's kind of fun, having that quarterback yeah. <laughs> after years of poo-pooing it and making fun of college coaches for doing it. Now they're on board. And so let's say Jalen Hurts comes in and he's really good and you're doing these quarterback run schemes and you're running RPOs and he's chucking it downfield and you feel like you have something. Well, that's a win too. I mean, they will never admit that. Fans probably don't want to hear it, but that's a win. If you feel like you got a quarterback on a rookie contract who's like a top 10 guy, well, then now Wentz becomes an asset. And that's like, you know, that's probably far away from what a lot of people are thinking. But I feel like when you invest a second round pick in a guy, that's what you're, that has to be part of the equation, part of the discussion. You don't take a guy there and think, oh, you know, backup quarterback's really important. That's why we did it. Uh, th- that's not why you do it, in my opinion. But I understand that line of thinking, that argument, especially with a quarterback that gets hurt, and especially if you think you have a contending roster. Your job as as Howie Roseman is to build the best football team possible, and if you and to win as many games as possible. And if you think that drafting Jalen Hurts and protecting yourself against a Carson Wentz injury when you think you have a Super Bowl caliber roster elsewhere, I understand that. Having a good backup quarterback has saved this team in the past. And if you think that is something that's necessary as we're kind of building out all the iterations of this season, I buy that. I don't think it's the best explanation, but I can see how you get there. Yeah, the only thing I, I on the surface, I would agree with that. But I would say 
you can make an investment, especially this offseason, and you saw what veteran quarterbacks went for. You could have gotten a veteran quarterback as a backup who's probably, I mean, Jalen Hurts is like a 50-50 proposition to be a good, you look at second yeah. round quarterbacks, I mean, the, the, the chances of them being an above average backup are probably around 50-50 in that range. So there's got to be that upside. There's got to be that, you know, in that range of outcomes on the right side that, man, if things really go well with him, then we really have something. So, so that's the only reason I, w- I would slightly disagree with that. You don't have to waste a second round pick if you can just sign Andy Dalton for $3 million. Right, exactly. Yeah, that no, that's it's yeah. a very good point, yeah. especially when they have holes elsewhere. And we're yeah. going to get to a couple of those holes. Yeah. As we move to the defense, here's my question for you. Who is playing linebacker for this team? Uh, Nate Gary and uh, TJ Edwards. Maybe throw a Duke Riley in there. Maybe go with what I th- cool. I think you should do and just go no linebackers. I mean, really, that that's the way the league's going anyway, right? Just dime or uh, what is seven defensive backs? <laughs> it looks like they're moving in that direction. I mean, I think they might have to. <laughs> it's I. If you look at if you just kind of you know put together and string together the mo- some of the moves they made defensively this offseason, I like them. You know, I think that Darius Slay, the price they got him for when you consider some of the other defensive player trades recently, I do that one. I do that one a lot because he was clearly done and over it in Detroit. <laughs> I love Jafon Hargrave. It, it's the perfect bringing a really talented player into a scheme that fits him. Because we never saw him really get to attack in Pittsburgh. And it's just a one-gap penetrator. I think he's going to be awesome next to Fletcher Cox. So if you take some of these moves individually, it's like, okay, I get it. I like it. It gets me excited. (laughs) But then you look at the defense as a whole and it's like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. I mean, it... It's Derek Barnett has not played well recently. Health issues have been a concern for him. I have a lot of questions about the secondary. It, it just feels like we're chasing something with this defense. And in a lot of ways, their best days are behind them. I tend to agree with you. I, I'm skeptical. You know, I think they feel like they made a big jump in their defensive personnel this offseason. And I don't agree with that. I mean, even with Darius Slay, a cornerback at 29 years, I know that's not old, but like, we see, I mean, Xavier Rhodes, like two years ago, was an all pro, and we all saw how he played last year. You know, they have a history. Namdi Asama, they signed back in the day. He was 30 years old. Like, it goes quickly. And so, when you, I'm not saying Darius Slay is going to be bad, but you have a three year investment in him, and you're hoping that he can be. I mean, they're saying he's a top five corner in the NFL. So, uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period there. I think their defensive line has a chance to be really, really good. I mean, you bring back Fletcher. How do you think it shakes out? Yeah. In terms of like, how do, how do you think the snaps shake out? Like on third yeah. downs, how do you think they line up? I think it'll be uh, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett at defensive end and Fletcher Cox in Hargrave at defensive tackle. But you can rotate in. Malik Jackson is back uh, healthy this year. I think he's going to be a big part of what they do. Josh Sweat was the guy who played pretty well for them in a rotational role last year. So that's like an area where they can withstand uh, a couple injuries. And Fletcher Cox did not have a good year last year. I mean, that's sort of like when we talk about how can they make a leap from last year and we look at Slay and Hargrave, those are all possibilities. But my big thing is like if you get the Fletcher Cox from 2018 instead of last year, and there's no guarantee that you would at this stage of his career. But if that happens, that's like a bigger jump than any of those things because he was dominant in 20. 18 and he had flashes of it last year there were games there's series where he takes over but overall uh, his numbers were not good and I didn't think his film was great last year either I was looking back at it today because you know he had that injury at the beginning of the season yes. I was like oh is this is something where the first few weeks of the year he was playing a little bit slow because I remember he was yeah. so I looked at it today and he actually was less productive on a per snap basis as a pass rusher over the second half of the huh. season 
as he was in the first half of the season, which was kind of shocking yeah. to me. So over six over sixteen games, I think he wanted he settled at around twenty third in PFF's pass rush productivity at fifty six pressures, but he played something like eight hundred pass rushing snaps. Right. So that's not when at his best, he was one of the ten most impactful defensive players in the NFL. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I, I think like the guys who can just sort of wreck a game, you know, like when you're watching like a Sunday night game or something and Collinsworth is going nuts about that one guy who every, <laughs> who every play is just doing something like, I don't know, man, this might be a post for me on the athletic, but you, you know what I'm, you know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. Right. So absolutely, uh, I think he, he fit, uh, he fit in that category for sure. And he, I mean, he was in that Donald range. If you were trying to build an interior lineman, it was Donald and him were one, a one B for a certain period of time. Yeah. I think that's no longer is true. And that's kind of what I'm saying about these like incremental, like, like this incremental regression that the defense has made. It's the same guys. And, and like Rodney McLeod is another good example. I think he's fallen off more than Fletcher Cox has, but he was a better player early in his career than he is right now. So if I'm looking at it just like, man, it, it seems like they should still be pretty good. And you think about the guys they brought in. I think Roby Coleman is a really good signing, yeah. but I just, I think there are a lot of different outcomes this year where this is just an average defense. And I don't know if that's enough for them to compete in the NFC. Yeah. I see them in that, in that mediocre range, like maybe 12, 13th uh, around there. I think Jim Schwartz has, has done a good job with the talent he's had, but you mentioned it. I mean, they lose Malcolm Jenkins, who's played more snaps than any defensive player in the NFL over the last four years. Like that's a big loss. He did a lot of different things for them at the other cornerback spot. They've got Avante Maddox, who I always thought was better suited for the slot or even safety. And now he's a five ten guy who's playing outside. You're moving Jalen Mills, a corner to safety. So it's exactly what you're saying. There's a lot of moving pieces where it's hard for me to look at it and say, they're going to make this huge leap defensively. And I think losing Jenkins is an underrated thing because it's about flexibility, like you said. When yeah. you don't have the linebackers, having a guy like Malcolm Jenkins that you yes. can bring in, you can play some big nickel, all this stuff, there's no guarantee that Mills is going to be a useful player right. in that new spot. I, I just think there are a lot more question marks with this team than w have typically existed in the past, with, with which is typically a very deep, good roster. Yeah, I, I agree with you. With I mean, I, I sort of... I, I take two sides of it. On one hand, I'm like, all right, Wentz, Peterson, and Jim Schwartz, like that's a nice foundation to work with. You know, that'll probably put you uh, ahead of the bottom third of the league, maybe half the league. But then when you kind of, and it's a philosophical thing, you know, they, they trade for Slay, they sign Hargrave. Would they have been better off addressing the offense and making that DeAndre, trying to make that DeAndre Hopkins trade, trying to make a Stefan Diggs trade. So it's interesting to look at where they sort of poured the resources into uh, this offseason. But I feel like internally they, they like their roster. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I want to kind of mine your brain about the Eagles just because you have an insight on them that a lot of people don't have. When you look at the offensive staff, and Scangarello coming in as an assistant, Press Taylor getting elevated. What kind of feel do you have about how that could manifest schematically? Do you think we'll see anything new that would jump out? I think the big thing is with Scangarello, who was sort of a coach under Kyle Shanahan, and it's that mm -hmm. under center boot action, get Wentz outside the pocket. Because if you look at Wentz... My favorite, baby. Yeah, yeah. If you look at it, Wentz's numbers were great outside the pocket last season. And it's sort of what we talked about earlier. I think that just plays to his sort of style and what he wants to do and be on the move and not just sort of sit back there type deal. And so that's going to be a big part of what they do. Now, having said that, 
They've had RPO elements. They've had West Coast offense. It's spread. And now you're adding that in there. They they brought in Marty Morningweg as another guy who probably most people are like, wait, oh, man. he's on their offensive staff. So I mean, the <laughs> oldest school West Coast influence <laughs> yeah. possible there. Exactly. So it's funny. You go to practice and like after one series, Wentz comes off and he talks to Press Taylor, who's the passing game coordinator. And like this young guy who looks like he could be part of the roster. And the next, <laughs> the next series, he comes off and he's talking to Marty Morningweg, who has like the hair long hair coming out of it you know he sort of has these like baggy pants on he looks like he's been around the game since like 1960 and so there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen and when when they won the Super Bowl I would say that was one of Doug Peterson's strengths was just working with Frank Reich and John DeFilippo and Press Taylor and all these guys they really worked well together came up with great game plans figured out how to maximize Nick Foles's ability and so that's sort of his task this year like replicate that you got new guys now figure out how to make it all work and you're calling the plays on Sundays I don't think we talk enough about just how strong of a leader Doug Peterson is both with his staff and with the roster in general I think he's an underrated coach still at this point in his career yeah, I think he, I mean, I don't know how you can look at like the last couple of years and think they've, and look at, like you said, the injuries and the roster and think they've underachieved. I mean, I feel like getting to the divisional round with Foles the year after the Super Bowl year and then even making the playoffs last year with guys like Boston Scott and Greg Ward. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's done a great job. The one guy we didn't mention, I want to talk about him before we move on here. Are you buying into the Miles Sanders hype at all? I liked him as a rookie. Yeah. I just think he's a really. He's an explosive play waiting to happen, both as a receiver and a back. I think he has a lot of just pop. Do you think that he's going to take another step this year based on what you've seen, what you've heard, everything else? I do, yeah. I think I think if he's healthy, he's going to be a monster this season. I mean, he put the offense on his back at times in the second half of last year. It was around week eight. You would talk to the offensive lineman. I remember Brandon Brooks being like, it was after this Bills game in week eight where it like clicked for him. His reads, he wasn't bouncing stuff to the outside. And as a receiver, like he could be really special. I mean, he averaged over 10 yards per reception last year, which is kind of unheard of for a running back. So, yeah, I, I think he's got big-time potential. I'm buying the hype with him. I want to see them do some of the vertical stuff they did with him last year, yeah. even if they have, feel better about their receivers. Because I think that scheming your running backs vertically when those guys have the ability to do it just adds an element to your offense, even if it's not a necessity this year like it was last year. Absolutely, yeah. That that and the screen game were kind of their bread. I mean, it was stuff they had to lean on without having anything at wide receiver last year. So I would anticipate they continue to do that. Let's move on to the New York Giants. And I want to start this off the only place we can. What is your favorite moment so far from the Joe Judge era in New York? Well, well you set me up with this uh, before the pod. And so I did get a minute here to look it up. And I, can I just, it's just one paragraph. I just, I just want oh, to. Oh, just uh, lay it on me, yeah. man. I'm ready. <laughs> I just want this from Dan Duggan, our, our Giants beat writer at The Athletic. And so he says, an offensive player stood on the five-yard line with a ball resting in front of him on a blocking pad. A defender stood at the goal line. On coach's command, the offensive player picked up the ball and charged head-on into the defensive player. There was a scary moment when cornerback Corey Ballantyne lay motionless briefly. This part, I guess, is you know, isn't really not funny, but it's sort of just... No, it's not. <laughs> lay motionless briefly after a collision with wide receiver... Austin Mack, ultimately, Ballantyne was fine, but the scene underscored how rare it is to see such a physical drill in an NFL practice. So when he, I remember him tweeting that at the time, and my jaw just sort of dropping, like, what is going on at, at that training camp? Yours. Part of me thinks when he was making the joke about beating Daniel Jones with the socks full of soap, 
that he was in on it and it was just this was just a bit this is just like a long running like nathan fielder thing but now i don't think he is i I, i'm giving him way too much credit so i understand joe judge stuff is hilarious and i think that Lindsay and i are considering having a joe judge segment every single week Uh, if he keeps this up because it might be necessary (laughs) i was talking about i think we need the my name is judge from arrested (laughs) development when they open the magazines just as the drop i i'm still fighting for that but it's it's funny, but I want to get to how it actually relates to the way I feel about this team coming into the season. Because I went back and I watched some Daniel Jones today. And I was watching some of the just the schematic stuff they were doing in New York last year. I liked a lot of it. I mean, they're scheming up deep shots for Golden Tate. They're doing stuff for Saquon Barkley. They hit him on a sale route for like a 33-yard touchdown against Washington. Darius Slayton did a lot of cool stuff for them. I think Shepard being back, it's, they're are worlds where when you take this position group and Daniel Jones in year two, where I'm excited about it, I want to see it. I want to see what it looks like. If they had just brought Pat Shermer back with Mike Shula and that's what this team was, I would be excited to watch it. But thinking about the offensive staff they have and their outlook with that offensive staff, I'm just not excited about watching Jason Garrett coach these players. Do you think that's wrong? No, I think that's right. And I think it's a good way to look at it. Like when you, when I go through these teams, I try to think like, all right, the Giants offense, let's say you took this personnel, dropped them in Kansas City or dropped them in New Orleans. You, you would be excited about that. You would be like this. Yeah. You, you really, you could say Andy Reid would turn this into a top 10 offense. I feel like I, I don't even think that's hyperbole. I think there's enough talent I don't. there. The offensive line is good enough. You have Saquon Barkley. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Daniel Jones, but I just, yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, in a big picture way, when you hire somebody off the Belichick tree, the big concern is that the guy's going to think he's Bill Belichick without having established any of the credibility or anything like that. Like anytime you hire somebody from the Belichick tree, we've seen it in Detroit with Matt Patricia and the way like the last three, four, five months have gone, that has to be a huge concern. I mean, Joe Judge is coming for Matt Patricia's belt. I mean, he just, <laughs> he, the way he's approaching this is crazy. What a sad championship <laughs> to win. I mean, he's running practices like it's like 1980s in Odessa, Texas or something. It's crazy. And so it's hard for me to even get to like, the what's the schematic? Like, is he just going to go over there and say, run the ball on first and second downs? I mean, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, if I'm not reading enough into it, but like, it's hard for me to even think about what I have no idea what this team is really going to look like when they start playing games. They could have signed, they could have hired Mike Kafka or just Eric B. Yeah. Whoever. Perfect. Even better. Yeah. Like I'm talking, but that's, I'm not even talking about the number one candidates. I'm talking about guys further down. They could have hired a quality control guy from the chiefs to come be their (laughs) offensive coordinator that I've never heard of. And I would be more excited about it than Jason Garrett taking this job because I have no reason to think that it's going to be well orchestrated and exciting. It's been seven years since Jason Garrett has been a play caller and every single bit of his fingerprints on the Cowboys offense, we talked about this in the Cowboys section, is a negative to me. I saw more interesting stuff with Saquon Barkley as a receiver in the one game I watched against Washington from last year than I saw from four years of Jason Garrett using Ezekiel Elliott. I just don't think these players are going to be put in a position to succeed. And I think that's going to have a huge impact on the way that Daniel Jones progresses as a quarterback. 
All right, let, let me let me try to play devil's advocate and, and play the other side on Jason. Gibbs. I really appreciate this it. This is Thank a you. sentence I never thought I would utter on a podcast, <laughs> but uh, but here we are. So I was looking up Garrett's numbers, and it is so long ago. So like you could just throw all this out the window if you wanted to. But so he called plays from 2007 to 2012, and this is actually funny because I was working in Baltimore at the time when they had the coaching opening, and I don't know if people remember this, yeah. but. They wanted Jason Garrett, not John Harbaugh. I know. Like he, I know. he was the name. Like if you look up the Baltimore Sun archives where I was, this is what everyone was writing about. And Jerry Jones, you know, said, basically said to Garrett, here's a little bump. You're going to be our guy at some point. Just stick with me. And he did. And here we are. My God, I'm so old. What, 13 years? 13 it's years incredible <laughs> that Jason Garrett was the hot like he coordinator was. candidate, the hot coaching candidate. He was the red hot young gun <laughs> at one point in our lives. And I love that so much. It's amazing. The younger listeners probably don't even know that. It's the couple old guys talking about the good old times with Jason Gertz. So I know. He, I know. So he was a coordinator for six years there, and they were actually a lot more pass happy than one would think. Like they ranked in the top five, top ten in terms of pass frequency on early downs. And then I was looking at performance. They had a, a top two offense in two of those six years. And they were in the top half of the league four times. Now, I don't know if that's good or not, because those were some talented teams. Uh, obviously, yeah, Tony Romo, Tony so Romo was awesome. Yeah, right. Like, I think that we Tony Romo's career should be better than yeah, it was. You're probably so right. I, I understand these numbers, but if yeah. you put them into context, you're right. Like, Romo was one of like the five or six most efficient quarterbacks in the league yeah. when he was healthy. It's a great point. I they mean, probably should have yeah. been better. Yeah, they should have been. And we see this all the time where, you know, is it is it quarterback or play caller? So, all right, I tried. I have nothing else for you. <laughs> Joe Judge, uh, Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens. Oh, my gosh. How do you feel about Daniel Jones? Because when I watch him, I get a lot of early Jameis Winston vibes where he's aggressive. I think he's a, he, he's a more athletic Jameis Winston when I watched him last year. Terrible ball security, but aggressiveness, willing to extend things, willing to push the ball down the field. And with Winston, it was always if he could just rein in the turnovers, right. just rein in the ball security, he'd be a really good quarterback. And that's kind of where I am with Daniel Jones is that he's young enough that that's still on the table for him. It never happened with Winston. But I just don't have a lot of faith and a lot of enthusiasm about that process kind of taking hold this year. I feel the same way you do. I kind of like him, to be honest. You know, I was. Yeah, I think he's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was making. I'm jokes. willing to eat a lot of crow because <laughs> yeah. I made a lot of jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was going to say I was making jokes with everybody else when they drafted him, and I, you know, I thought it was a, a terrible pick and all this different stuff. But when I watched him last year, you can see what people would like about him. I mean, uh, I think the the aggressiveness, like that's one of my favorite traits in a young quarterback. You know, I just want Me someone too. throw your, inter it's your rookie year, throw your interceptions, chuck it downfield. I don't care if you miss, just like, don't be afraid to make those mistakes because I feel like it's sort of hard to go the other way. You know, when you get a guy who's really conservative and checking it down and you're trying to say, come on, loosen it up, take some shots downfield. And so he had that aggressiveness, whether it was throwing it downfield, whether, I mean, he's like trying some tight window throws where there's not a big opening and uh, he's fitting it in there. I thought his accuracy was fine. If you look at a lot of the numbers and he really is an athletic quarterback. I mean, if you look at some of the scramble numbers, I think it was like Lamar Jackson and uh, I want to say Deshaun Watson. Josh Allen probably is yeah, in there. Yeah, there were two or three guys who, if you look at expected points added, were better than him on scrambles. Like he can make plays. He can get you a couple first downs on third, third and seven. And so uh, the fumbles are obviously an issue. I mean, 18 fumbles led the league last year. There's probably some sort of pocket presence, pocket movement type thing, things that he definitely needs to uh, needs to work on. But 
I looked at it last year and thought there are tools to work with here and in the right situation with the right coaching, this guy could have success. But, you know, it's it's what you mentioned. I, you know, I, I think the supporting cast is okay. It's not a bad supporting cast. The wide receivers, I would say, are mediocre to maybe slightly above average. You have Saquon Barkley. The offensive line is probably going to be in that mediocre range. But they're like things to work with if you had an innovative coach here. The offensive line is my number one question because yeah. I think that while the receiving core isn't how you'd build it from scratch, like they don't have all these different types of players necessarily. I think that Shepard and Tate have somewhat redundant skill sets, even yeah. though I think Shepard has a little bit more juice to get vertical. But I think what Slayton gives them with that element and then throwing Evan Ingram in there, if he's healthy, kind of being their de facto number one guy, you can work with that. The line, there are more questions though. And obviously, you know, uh, Nate Solder opted out for the season, but they have Andrew Thomas, who they drafted in the top five. I like him. Yeah. You know, I talked to him before the draft. I talked to his offensive line coach at Georgia. He's a very cerebral player. He likes to know how things work. I think mentally he'll be able to pick things up pretty fast, even if he has some technique issues with his hands and just kind of the way he plays in pass pro. Think about that. Cam Fleming coming in, just the... Always a question when you have a swing tackle that you're kind of thrusting into a starting role. He came from Dallas, so you know Jason Garrett knows him, obviously. Uh, Colombo is their offensive line coach who was also in Dallas. I think that transition's fine. We'll see what happens at center. That's the number one just personnel aspect of the offense I have questions about. But like you said, I still think they can be okay. I still think they can be a functional five when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just thinking, you know, if, if Daniel Jones were in Los Angeles or... San Francisco. I mean, do you think those offenses would be better, worse, the same? Like, I sort of don't feel like they would have a, a huge drop-off. I mean, I think Garoppolo is probably better than Goff, but I don't know. I think there are schemes. I think there are areas where you could really build on his strengths if you can cut down on the fumbles uh, and the turnovers. You're right. I, I like Thomas, too. I thought, you know, I make fun of Gettleman, too, but I thought they had a fine draft. I, I had no issues, really. Uh, you know, Xavier McKinney, I liked. He's out for the uh, out for the season, of, of course, but uh, I thought they made some picks that uh, that made sense there. The draft I liked. I think that they did made the right moves. They did the right things. Yeah. But with the way this team has spent money oh my gosh. on the open market in the last couple of years is pretty much indefensible. Oh. So you bring in James Bradbury, who James Bradbury is a fine player. What they paid pay James Bradbury, and now to transition to what I assume is going to be a very man-heavy defense. Patrick Graham yeah. is coming over from Miami. They were, I believe, second in the league last year after Detroit in man coverage last year. He's from the Belichick tree. They play a ton of man. So now you're putting a corner that played in a much more passive scheme in Carolina for most of his career in a man-heavy defense where apparently he's been having trouble and you're paying him like a true number one corner. You bring in Blake Martinez, who I know Blake. I got to know him in Green Bay. He's a very good locker room presence, really good leader, very smart, somebody you want to build your team around. He's also somebody that has been taken advantage of specifically by smart defensive coordinators over the last couple of years. If he is the, one of the linchpins of your free agent class, I'm not sure that's the way you should be building your team. So it, it's hard. To, it's almost like the, they're the inverse of the Jets, where the Jets, I have no faith in the coaching staff, and it's hard to judge the front office because their players aren't going to be put to use in the right ways. Here, it's going to be hard to judge the coaching staff because I have very little faith in the input side of this equation. 
Yeah, and you haven't even mentioned Leonard Williams yet, which has been oh yeah, God, uh, I mean, that's another one. <laughs> yes, and it's here's the thing: it's not as if this was stuff they couldn't avoid. Right. These are all moves they made this year, like six months ago. They didn't have to do any of this. I mean, I would say the Leonard, the handling of Leonard Williams is among the worst moves by any franchise in the last calendar. It's year. indefensible. I mean, you trade two draft picks for a guy who had, he couldn't even get one sack. He had half a sack last year. Another run stuffing defensive tackle, which is where you've invested resources already. And then you use the franchise tag on him. Like imagine if you used that money elsewhere, maybe in the secondary, maybe on the offensive line, you know, shore that up. And then you can really see what you have with Daniel Jones there. So uh, I agree with you. Blake Martinez, I feel like when I did like the wrote about the free agency stuff, there was no fan base who was happier to see like a top 50 free agent go than the Packers fan base. I mean, they were just like done, done with that guy. So um, that is never a good sign. Maybe he'll be, he'll be okay, but you can certainly uh, question that. I just feel like defensively, their personnel is what bottom, you know, bottom five, bottom seven. It's bottom, really, it's like low. you said, I mean, if you're going to line up and play man coverage and say, our guys can keep up with your guys, like you don't have the guys to do that. So I think they're really going to be among the worst defenses in the league. It's just really hard for me to picture them being a decent defense because no matter how you go about this, I think you're going to be weak somewhere. Let's say, okay, yeah. we don't have a ton of guys up front that can create pressure on their own. You know, They brought back Marcus Golden. They brought in Kyler Fackrell. I mean, there's nobody on the edge that you trust to win one-on-one. Yeah. So we're going to have to send some heat. We're going to have to create pressure on the quarterback in an artificial way. We're going to have to send extra bodies. That puts more stress on the secondary, which we haven't even talked about DeAndre Baker yet. They are not set up to survive in the secondary if that's the group they have to rely on. So I just have a hard time finding outcomes that are positive for this team no matter how they try to play things schematically. Yeah, I mean, to summarize it very briefly, they're going to have trouble rushing the passer and trouble covering, which those two things. That's combined. typically bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, did, they did bring in Logan Ryan, so I'm curious to see uh, whether they use him at safety at nickel, but he he's not an outside corner. So they have like a gaping hole, whoever, not even to mention Bradbury, whoever's playing opposite uh, James Bradbury, that's going to be a big weakness for them as well. All right, let's get to Washington, who I, I don't think we have to go through the ins and outs of the Washington football <laughs> roster because they don't really matter. I mean, this is a team that it's, it's hard to kind of understand. I did this with Barnwell yesterday. Trying to contextualize success for rebuilding teams is sometimes difficult. So when you look at Washington, something I like to do as I evaluate each team before the season is kind of figure out who the stakeholders are, right? So like we're talking about the Giants, the coaching staff is going to be fine. They could win one game and they'll be back. Gettleman has huge stakes. Yeah. When you look at Washington, Rivera now has so much control that, and they're just kind of tearing things down and rebuilding from scratch. They're going to be fine. I mean, it doesn't matter if they win one game this year. They're kind of just really changing things over there top to bottom. The one guy there that has a ton at stake this year, more than anyone else in my opinion, on the football side of the franchise, is Dwayne Haskins. Because I think this team is going to be in line to have the number one pick. And if he is not very good and Trevor Lawrence is sitting there, I think Dwayne Haskins could be looking for a job next year. And it's so tough with him because it's, it's sort of, you know, when you mentioned the Jets and Sam Darnold, like, it's going to be tough for Dwayne Haskins this year. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's Terry McLaurin, who I love. You know, who I think is like one of the best young wide receivers in the league. Yeah. This you're is in? a pro Terry McLaurin podcast. Okay, yeah. I, he uh, he was fantastic. he is my guy. <laughs> yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> Last year, this is I, I, let's talk about Terry McLaurin for two minutes before this gets fucking depressing. Okay. So I 
I love, I think, maybe I'm like overselling my ability <laughs> to do this, but I think when I hear receivers talk about playing the position, I have a pretty good feel for who's going to be good and who's not. Because it's an incredibly nuanced position to play. And I saw a clip of him last year talking about route leverages and how to change speeds and all this stuff. And when you combine that kind of nuanced understanding and detailed understanding the position with just the absurd physical profile he brings to the sport, that's when you can get a guy that's really special. And I thought he was going to be good right away. I bought all the Terry McLaurin stock. And then that guy, he just took off like a rocket. And I do not think that's going to stop this year because there is no one for this team to throw the ball to other than Terry McLaurin. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think he's in for a big year. He is, he's just really fun. I mean, he can not only can he yeah. fly, he can break tackles, he can make people miss. But with Haskins, like you said, other than McLaurin, who do you have? You might have the worst left side of an offensive line in the league. You don't have a lot of weapons to throw to. I don't know what they're going to do with Scott Turner. You know, last year was sort of run the ball 45 times and let's make sure we're, we're home in two and a half hours was like, I mean, <laughs> really, that was their offense with, with Dwayne Haskins. It was like, oh, let's get it. Maybe we can catch the end of these other one o'clock games if we, if we really uh, play this way. So I know it's going to look different this year. They just need to find get as much information as they can that's exactly that, right. that's what they that's what this year has to be about for them just because of what you said because you're going to be in position to to probably have a high draft pick next offseason you don't want to stick with the guy forever if you don't think he's very good if he shows signs i mean i was sort of up and down with, with Haskins you know I, I thought he was getting crushed a little bit too much because of the situation there were you know a couple games towards the end of the year where you could see he can really throw the ball he's also aggressive i mean there's like no throw he's afraid to make and sometimes to his detriment, but he's got a big arm. He can fit it in there in tight spaces. So there were some things that I was like, all right, you can kind of see what uh, coaches, personnel, people would like about him, but man, you just need a lot more snaps, a bigger body of work to really form an opinion uh, about what he's going to be in the NFL. I, I totally agree. I think that information gathering is a really good way to put it because that's the mode they have to be in. You know, there are not a lot of players on this team that they're committed to long-term. Yeah. You know, Ryan Kerrigan's been there forever, but I don't think he has any guaranteed money left on his deal after this year. You know, They signed Kendall Fuller to that pretty sizable contract, but other than that, they were very quiet in free agency. I know they were you know, considering maybe going to make a play for Amari Cooper just because they thought that he was the type of receiver that doesn't become available very often, right. just to hit the market, period, and they had the money to do it. They elected not to do it eventually. So you're really just kind of sitting here being like, all right, let's give the kids some run, and let's see what we have. I would love to see Sadiq Charles, the guy they drafted from LSU, get into the lineup at some point this year to see if he can be a viable starter as a fourth-round pick. See what happens with Antonio Gandy-Golden. I know that he was considered somebody that could get some snaps, but it's been slow going in camp a little bit. How are they going to use Antonio Gibson? And then on a more big picture level, what does the Scott Turner offense look like? And do you think that's something you want to roll with long term? I think that Scott is an open-minded, smart person. I think that the way they used all the motion they used in Carolina last year, trying to manufacture yardage with guys like Curtis Samuel, everything else, I like that kind of stuff. So that's where I'm at. It's like, all right. We have this blank canvas. Let's just throw some stuff at it, see what sticks, and see where we are at the end of the year. Because if they win one game, but we have some flashes from young guys, that's okay. I do wonder if the way we talk about them is how they're thinking, though. You know what I mean? Because like they yeah. trade for Kyle Allen. Like If things don't go well with Haskins early on, are they saying, 
we're here to win games and we're going to make a quarterback change. You know what I mean? There's always this sort of, you look at it from a top level and this is what would make sense for the organization. And then you have the coaches who are putting in all the hours every week and trying to win every week and thinking what's going to give them the best chance. And sometimes those two things don't align. So that will be fascinating to see how they handle that. Like if Haskins struggles, are they just like, he's out and let's go with Kyle Allen and we'll get another quarterback after the season. Maybe. I'm curious if Ron Rivera, the executive now, is going to fight with Ron Rivera, the coach, <laughs> about how what they should be doing this That's year. Right. I it's don't know like, why I'm saying they. Yeah, him. What does he want to do? His two voices fighting each other. It's it's interesting. And I think it's a hard team to preview because it is such an unknown, both on a personnel level, schematically, and overall philosophy. What they want to be and what they're trying to accomplish, it's hard to really know at this point. But I have a feeling they're going to be picking in the top five. We're going to be sitting here saying, man, isn't Chase Young fun? And yeah. man, is this team terrible. Yeah, that that's the one thing if you're a Washington football team fan. I'm curious if Chase Young can just unlock that defensive line. I mean, four straight years with first round picks. There's some players there that you like, but you look at all the numbers and like they have not had a dominant defensive line. No. So I'm all in on Chase Young. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think that could be a fun aspect of their season is to just have this like dominant defensive line. But other than that and uh, Terry McLaurin, it's tough to find a, a lot to look forward to. I think the defense could be okay. Yeah. You know, if Young is truly great right away, I think that you have that force multiplier effect on the rest of the defensive line. A guy like that makes everybody else better. And when you consider the talent that they have up front, I think that could work. The secondary is full of guys who played in the NFL. You know, I know that sounds silly, but for a rebuilding team, it's not always a given that you have proven talent. You know, yeah. Ronald Darby's on this team. You know, they signed Kendall Fuller. Landon Collins is still on this team. I think the defense could be fine. But I, I think it's really, really tough sledding to get to a fine offense. I mean, it, most of the outcomes here, I think, still have them as a bottom five unit, even if some things break right for them. Absolutely. And as we know, it's tough to overcome terrible ownership. So with every move, with every, you know, th what we talk about, long-term planning, I mean, they have the worst guy in the league to be uh, doing that stuff. So if you're a Washington football team fan, sorry to depress you there, but I mean, it's the worst thing in sports. It's the worst thing for a sports fan is to have ownership like that because you can overcome bad players, bad coaches, bad GMs, you can move on. But with if a guy just has the keys and maybe there'll be a way to, you know, take those keys away from him. But as long as he has the keys, it's just tough to sort of envision an era where they're like consistently competitive. Yeah, this is this season is all about trying to climb three rungs up that ladder and get out of the pit that they're in. As yeah. long as they're starting to make that move upward, that's all that matters. Trajectory and the direction that the arrow is pointing is the only thing that I think we should consider with this team when the season is over. Wins, losses, everything else. If they're playing hard and they're headed in the right direction, that's a win. Even if that's a really low bar, that is a win in my opinion. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Moment of truth. Who are you picking to win the NFC East? Oh, my gosh. On the spot. All right. I think I I, I feel like if I say a different team on every podcast, then I'll have my uh, self cover. That's a really good strategy. <laughs> I love that. No, I think I'm going to stick with uh, I've been bullish on the Cowboys. I'm like, there's a voice in my head saying, are you sure you trust Mike McCarthy to do this? Because I think I'm a little more skeptical than most on him. But uh, I just mostly make these decisions by which team do I feel best about having like a top five offense. And exactly. the Cowboys are that team. So I'm going with them. One of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast by asking you to poke holes in the Cowboys is that I'm starting to get a little bit worried about how I feel about the yeah. Cowboys. Like it's starting to concern me <laughs> that I'm this certain about them being good. 
but it's it might take a little bit longer for that to marinate because I am also picking the Dallas Cowboys okay. to win the NFC and be true contenders in the league. I, I think that they could be a special team based on everything that's happening there right now. And, you know, we'll see. I'll be horrendously wrong about that by week five. But right now I'm feeling pretty good about it. There you go. That's part of the fun, right? All right, bud. Thank you so much for doing this. You will be on consistently this year. You know, we're going to have you know tons of rotating guests on Wednesdays. You Maybe you'll pop on on Thursdays. Sheila is going to be a fixture on the Athletic Football Show as we roll through the year. Tomorrow, we're going to have another fixture of the show on. Lindsey Jones is going to be joining us to preview the AFC West, a fascinating division, one that she knows very well. Until then, please rate, review, subscribe to the show. It would mean a lot to me if you like it. Thank you guys very much for listening. Sincerely appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.